I'm Courtney Cannell, Government Affairs and Regulatory Affairs. I support Progress Texas for equality for all, specifically for transgender and women's rights. Can I get a ballot to vote by mail in Texas here? <laughs> well, that would be my top of my wish list. <laughs> It's Thursday, September 14th, 2023, and this is the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch. Rapid response on the breaking news stories Texas progressives need to know. I'm Chris Mosier. Day seven of the Ken Paxton impeachment trial yesterday. Robert Downen at the Texas Tribune says our thrice indicted AG's lead attorney, Tony Busby, spent some time hacking away at the idea that a kitchen remodel done at the Paxton home paid for by Austin real estate developer Nate Paul was a bribe, a notion based partially on testimony from former Paxton aide Drew Wicker, who has said he heard a contractor express that Paul was a financial decision maker in the kitchen project, which may or may not have even happened based upon pictures that show little upgrading having been done. House impeachment lawyers suggested that Paxton may have kiboshed the project as he began to worry about optics. Wicker also related the story of being surprised to see his former boss in the company of his alleged mistress, Laura Olson, at the Omni Barton Creek Resort in Austin in 2020. There had been high anticipation that Olson might testify yesterday. Eleanor Dearman at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram says that almost happened, but Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick told the Senate chamber about 5 p.m. yesterday that Laura Olson had been deemed unavailable without saying exactly what that means. Right after that, day seven came to a bit of a clunky close. Patrick Zvitek and Zach Nespart of the Texas Tribune say that House lawyer Rusty Harden announced that the managers would rest, quickly realizing that he had made that move prematurely, cutting off further questioning of the current witness by either side. Paxton defense lawyer Tony Busby then attempted a fast one, calling for what's called a directed verdict, which is a request for dismissal of the entire matter for lack of evidence. After a 45-minute closed-door meeting with both sides, Dan Patrick announced that Paxton's lawyers had withdrawn their motion for the dismissal and that the trial would proceed with the defense's witnesses. There's clearly been some mismanagement by House managers as they're now at a disadvantage with only a maximum of two hours left of their allotted questioning time, half of the four hours remaining for the defense, which sets up a scenario where Paxton's team would be able to call witnesses that would not be cross-examined by the House. All of this resumes today at the Capitol starting at 9. Have a look back at the Progress Texas podcast feed when we're done this morning for yesterday's Progress Texas Happy Hour podcast with journalist Justin Miller of the Texas Observer, from whom we got a solid update on the impeachment proceedings thus far yesterday. Over to the border, Hamed Al-Aziz at the Los Angeles Times writes that Republican lawmakers plan to resist Biden administration plans to force some migrant families to remain in Texas while awaiting their initial asylum screenings. The plan would involve tracking migrants' locations with GPS monitoring devices such as ankle monitors. The idea has come under fire by immigrant advocates as well, who have called it punitive and misguided. While Texas Governor Greg Abbott says he'll attempt to block the policy should it be implemented, and Republican U.S. Representative August Fluger of District 11, which stretches from the Permian Basin to Brownwood, introduced an amendment to a government funding bill that would keep the Department of Homeland Security from spending any money to advance the Remain in Texas plan. Los Angeles is one of the cities paying attention to all this as they've received at least 13 busloads of migrants from Texas in recent weeks. 
In a related story, Camilo Montoya Galvez at CBS News says the Biden administration has reopened a housing facility for unaccompanied migrant children that has been highlighted in the past for its poor living conditions in response to a marked increase in crossings along the southern border. This is a U.S. Department of Health and Human Services facility and a former camp for oil workers in Pecos. It's currently able to house up to 500 migrant teenagers, a group of whom arrived there on Tuesday. A federal judge has extended a temporary restraining order blocking a new Texas law designed to criminalize drag performances. Kate Winkle at KXAN-TV in Austin writes that the first restraining order stopping the enforcement of Senate Bill 12 was set to expire today, but yesterday's ruling extends that restraining order another two weeks. The court sees a substantial likelihood that the law as drafted violates the First Amendment, and thus it has seen fit to suspend the new law while a final decision is being worked on. Our junior U.S. senator is embarrassing himself and us in the media this week. Again, not a shocker. Todd Gilman at the Dallas Morning News says U.S. Secretary of Education Miguel Corona took Senator Ted Cruz to task yesterday for second-guessing a Maryland elementary school principal's decision to require kindergartners to wear face masks for 10 days after three other kids and an adult in that classroom caught COVID-19. Cruz says masking requirements are just about controlling people, while parents at Rosemary Hills Elementary School in Silver Spring near Washington, D.C., were universally supportive of the principal and the policy. The Montgomery County District is among the nation's biggest and highest ranked and gives local school leaders authority to impose such requirements under state policy that follows recommendations from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Unlike Texas, where a new law forbidding such measures in response to COVID outbreaks went into effect a couple of weeks ago. By the way, all indications are that a new COVID booster will be available nationwide in just the next few days. Over to the grid, where at the moment, ERCOT may be breathing a sigh of relief that they've made it through an historically hot summer, but now there's the unpredictable Texas winter to face. Sarah Natal of the San Antonio Express News writes that it's the opinion of the head of San Antonio's CPS Energy that Texas hasn't done enough to ensure that the state's power grid can make it through a hard winter without yet another energy emergency. Fresh off the most stressful summer on record for power operators, CPS President and CEO Rudy Garza said during a panel hosted this week by the United States Energy Association that state regulatory authorities in Texas have yet to adequately address the issues that held up natural gas supply to power Power generators during the deadly winter energy crisis in 2021, which, as you'll recall, left millions of Texans in the dark and sub-freezing cold for days and left more than 240 Texans dead. We did see steps forward in the further implementation of power storage batteries for the Texas grid. Those have been given a good share of credit, actually, in preventing rolling blackouts over the summer. ERCOT wants new regulations on batteries, though, as we've told you, that may make their further development more difficult and expensive. Claire Howe has a nice piece on this in the Houston Chronicle. If you're interested to learn how battery storage could hold the key to keeping the lights and the heat and AC on in Texas, see the link in the show notes. And also in energy this morning, Mitchell Parton at the Dallas Morning News says a new $200 million Chinese solar panel manufacturing plant is planned to be built in Wilmer in Dallas County. This will be Trina Solar's first plant in the Western Hemisphere and is expected to employ about 1,500 people. They hope to begin producing high-power solar modules as early as next year. 
For all we've heard about folks considering leaving Texas, either due to the weather or the drought or the politics, Jacob Zinkula at Business Insider says the Texas population boom continues largely unabated. We're still the second most populated state in the country behind California, but we're gaining fast. California's population actually declined last year while ours increased by 470,000 new Texans, the most of any U.S. state. At the same time, as we've talked about, Texas is sticky, and I'm not talking about humidity here. Native Texans generally don't leave. 82% of Texans born in the state still resided here as of 2021. We're also tops in that figure nationwide, and all of this population growth is at the core of the continued economic growth of the Lone Star State. One thing that looms with a possible eventual barrier to that growth is ever-increasing housing costs, which are up statewide. And to close, another story on gender equity benchmarks in Texas law enforcement today. That makes two in a row, and this one out of Vider, Texas, of all places. Scott Eslinger at Channel 12 News in Beaumont says Brittany Hanley, a female officer with the Vider Police Department, has been honored as this year's statewide Officer of the Year by the Combined Law Enforcement Associations of Texas. This stems from an incident last September in which Hanley talked a 20-year-old man dangling from an Interstate 10 overpass out of jumping to his death. Fighter Police Chief Rod Carroll says Brittany Hanley is a relatively new officer, having transitioned from a desk job just five years ago, but that she exemplifies the characteristics needed for the job. Top of the list, compassion and empathy. And that's the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch. For this Thursday, September 14th, 2023, links to all these original stories can be found in our show notes. Thanks to your support, our podcasts are now within the top 5% for listenership in the entire world. Please consider helping us continue our important work by joining our ongoing membership drive. Learn more at progresstexas.org. I'm Chris Mosier. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again tomorrow.